Well, you couldn't have picked a better song to end on. Amen. Living for Jesus. That could be the title of the message today because that's really what it's all about. So, isn't it amazing how God works? You know, can you ever uh, outthink God? No, He's always a step ahead of you. <laughs> and so, that's why it's such a blessing, you know, to live for Jesus because we keep seeing his handprint in our life, you know. And sometimes we wonder what's going to happen. And then we see God step in and he does something. So, you know, God was there all the time. And so why did I fear? You know, why did I doubt? Because he was always a step ahead of me. But think about this. I know you've heard people say before, you know, why am I here? Why was I born? You know, and uh, we've probably said it ourselves at one time or another. But, you know, there's a reason, and the Bible tells us the reason that we're on this earth. And we're going to discuss that in a minute. But first I want you to think about something. You know, uh, how can a person love if they did not have the ability to not love? You know what I'm saying? Nobody can really ever love unless they're given the opportunity to not love. And that's why there's so many adversities. That's why there's difficulties in life. That's why Lucifer is still loose today. And that's why God put that tree in the midst of the garden. And he said, don't partake of it. Don't partake of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden. Why did he put that one tree in there and then say, don't touch the fruit of it? You see, it all comes down to this one thing is that God gave us free will to choose. And that tree was in that garden for a reason because if it had not been there and God had made man like robots and he just told them what to do and they just did it, then there would be no such thing as love because there would be no free will to choose whether to love God or not. He put it there so we'd have free will to choose in order that we could choose to love him and to obey him. And so we do these things because of the love of God that's in our heart. That's why the suffering's in the world today. That's why Lucifer is still loose. That's why he is still persecuting the church. He's persecuting each one of us individually. He's against God. God could have thrown him into hell the minute that he sinned, and there'd be no one to persecute us. But he did it because we are able to resist him and show that our faith is greater than the devil is. And our love is stronger than anything Satan can throw at us. And so that's the reason he allowed Satan to continue on, is even though he is persecuting the church, the church is surviving, and it is doing well. And we know it's strong today. I mean, if you take a, pig, a piece of pig iron and throw it into the fire, you think, well, that's the end of it. It's going to melt and be gone. Certain degrees, that piece of pig iron in that fire is tempered. And it's stronger than it was when you put it in the fire. That certain temperature that it meets, and you can use that steel, and it will hold up to anything you do with it. Before it would have bent, but the fire tempered it. Guess what? That's what he's doing with us. The same thing. We're in the fire. We're being persecuted. But guess what? We're stronger than we were before. Because our love is galvanized. It is semening. 
And the faith is the same way. Our faith is cemented. It is galvanized by the hardships that we go through. We'd like to get rid of everything in our life that causes us trouble, right? <laughs> but it's there in order that we might be stronger and prove that the one that we follow is real. God is real. And he is able to get us through any and everything. The things that we have suffered, most of us in here have gone through some type of suffering in our life. Some of it has been extreme. Some of it we didn't think our spouse would make it, we would make it, children, and on and on. But yet God was there for us. He calls us his bride for a reason. He is the bridegroom for a reason. And if you look at the earthly marriage, you see something very similar there. You see two people, and that, they stand before that preacher. And that preacher says, will you take this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife to love and cherish in sickness and in health, for better, for worse, for richer and poorer? He's asking them a question. He's not making a statement. He's asking them, will you love this woman? Will you love this man in sickness or health? For better, for worse. For richer, for poorer. Because that preacher knows we're going to go through those things. Amen. And the negative things in that couple's life causes them to bond together closer than they would have been without those things in their life. He says to rejoice with those that rejoice and weep with those that weep. So God knows that there's going to be both negatives and positives. I'll never forget, my wife and I, years ago, we were in a little restaurant, and there was an old, old couple sitting at a t table. And the man got up, and he could just barely move himself, barely get around, and he walked around over there and helped her get up. And she could barely walk, and he could barely walk. And they leaned on each other, and they walked to the door leaning on each other and they walked out that door now don't you know that those two people knew more about love than those two that just got married a year ago because they have done what they have gone through adversity and they had learned to lean on each other trust each other and that's what love is about that's why the preacher asked do you will you love this woman will you love this man and all of those things because he knows they're coming down the pike and yet our love is galvanized it is cemented through the hard things of life just like that old couple went out that door trusting each other loving each other leaning on each other the same thing happens in our relationship with Jesus Christ we're the church we're the bride of Christ and he's the bridegroom he gave his life for us like that song was talking about the atonement that takes place he first gave his life for us because he loves us Amen. he showed that love how greater can someone show our, his love for us than to give his life for us greater love has no man than this that a man lay down his life for his friend John 15 and 13 Amen. there is no greater love than that and then we turn around and do what we're living for Jesus, right? We're laying down our life for him. And so 
that's the way that God intended it for, to be. And that's why he uses the earthly marriage as a metaphor for our relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's why he, he said in Ephesians 5 and 31, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. In a physical relationship, they become as one, sharing what they have with each other. And in the same way, what did he say in Ephesians about Christ and the church? Ephesians 5. He said, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So in the same way that Christ gave his life for us, then also the husbands are to give their lives for their wife. So you see the closeness of those two? And there's a reason for that because we see that the difficulties that come down the pike are not to destroy us, but they are to help us be closer to him than we've ever been. So we realize that evil has an end, right? There's a day when all evil is going to come to an end. Now, if you take evil and you put D in front of it, what do you have? Devil. The devil has an end. Evil has an end. But God, which is at O to God, what do you have? Good. God is good. Good will never come to an end like evil does. But it only pushes forward to more good. Because God is forever. Good is forever. Because God is good. And so we see those two. In life, we see the evil and we see the good. But we see one is going to come to an end. The other is going to move forward. And is going to progress to greater good. So he says about the devil that there be a time that he will be cast into the lake of fire. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever. Revelation 20 and 10. And he also said, The thief cometh not but to steal, kill, and destroy. But I am come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. And that's John 10 and 10. First John 3 and 8. For this cause was, for this purpose was the Son of God manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. And that's what he's doing. Guess what? He's doing it in our lives every day. He's doing it in the church. He is destroying the works of the devil. The devil thinks he's got us. He doesn't. He has deceived himself. Because the harder that he tries to stop the church, the more it progresses, the stronger that it gets. Just like that piece of pig iron in the fire. It's being tempered. Guess what? We're being tempered also. We're getting stronger each day of our life as we keep our eyes focused on us. And he is going to deliver us one day. It says in John 17 and 3, This is life eternal, that they may know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. What does it mean to know? What is he talking about? To know him. Just like that young couple that gets married. They think they know each other when they first get married. They don't know each other. But guess what? Through the years, they begin to know each other, don't they? And that's why they become one flesh. Is 
They share their life with one another. And the same thing happens in our relationship with Jesus Christ. We know him because he's the bridegroom, we're the bride. And we're learning more about him every day that we live on this earth. Job went through adversity like nobody else on earth except for Jesus Christ. And Paul the Apostle was there close to him at times, you know. But Job probably suffered more except for these two. And you know what he said at the end of his suffering? I had heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now I have seen you with my eyes. He had heard of God by the hearing of the ear, but now he had seen God with his eyes. He knew more about God after he went through all of that than he did before. And it's the same with us. The more that we go through, the more that we know about Jesus Christ, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit. My uncle, many years ago, uh, we were in the funeral home. And one of our kin had passed away. And my uncle Vince probably knew more scripture than anybody I've ever known. But he quoted this scripture to me. He was on up in years. He had diabetes. His legs were pretty rough shape. He had trouble getting around. He loved the Lord. He was a deacon in his church. He lived out his belief in Jesus Christ. In fact, when he got saved, he was driving a beer truck in Memphis. And uh, he started witnessing to those guys. And you know what? They got him down one day, held him down and poured whiskey down his throat. They thought that they would stop him from witnessing to him. They had another thought coming, didn't they? You know what that does to somebody? It just motivates them to do more. But see, people don't understand that about Christians. They think they can stop them, but they can't. Because it's going to continue. If they kill me, somebody else will take my place. If they kill you, somebody else will take your place. And we'll keep on right to the very end. That's what happened with him. He quit that job, and guess what? He didn't have any compensation. He had a family. He had a wife to support. He quit cold turkey because he had faith that God would give him another job where he wouldn't be delivering beer, which he felt was wrong, but he wanted to do something that was good. Guess what? God got him a job driving a milk truck. <laughs> Turn right around. But see his faith. He had faith God would help him. He told me in that funeral home, he said, Joe, I want to tell you about a scripture. And he said, it's a scripture that is more important to me every day that I live. It's 2 Corinthians 4 and 16. For which cause we faint not, for though the outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal way to glory. For the things which are seen are temporal. Things which are unseen are eternal. And you know what? I remembered that scripture. My uncle's passed away many years now. But I, now I'm approaching where he was. When he told me that scripture, now I know why it was so important to him. Because the outer man is perishing, but the inner man getting stronger every day. There was so much truth in that scripture. And that's why he had that scripture memorized, because it helped encourage him. He knew he was weak, getting weaker outside, but he knew that inner man was stronger. Every day he was being refreshed and renewed, and he had more energy on the inside than he had on the outside. Can you identify with that? <laughs> Sometimes we got more energy inside than outside. But that's what kept him going. But you see, they couldn't stop that man. 
he had a course ahead for him. When Paul said, I fought the good fight, I finished the course, I've kept the faith, we've got a course. We've got a reason for being on this earth. And we're going to read that in a few minutes, the reason that we are here on this earth. 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things pass away, and all things become what? New. All things become new. So those things that we pursued before we were saved, they consumed or ruled our life. They were at the forefront of our life, and the things of God were back here. We get saved, and what happened? They do an about face. And the things that consumed our life and ruled our life, they're back here. The things of God move to the forefront. That's the new man and the new woman in Christ. There's a 180 that takes place like I was in the Marine Corps. They'd say about facing. You were going this way. You'd been going this way. That's what happens to the believer. We were following the things of the world at one time. The things that we could see as my uncle quoted in that scripture that were visible. And then we started following that which is invisible. You cannot see. Which is of faith. Which is of God's word. A new man, a new woman in Christ no longer follows the ways of the world. Second Corinthians 5 and 15 says, And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him that died for them and rose again. We no longer live to ourselves. That's why I love that song, Living for Jesus. That couldn't have been a more perfect song sung this, after, this morning because that's exactly what this message is about. Exactly what our lives are about is living for Jesus. You know? I love the way the Holy Spirit works. Don't you? You see him do things and you know that was orchestrated by God. I know as we were sitting there singing it, it was rolling in my mind. You know? How did she pick that song? Well, Holy Spirit was there saying, hey, pick that one. <laughs> You know, he does, you know, leading songs, the same thing happened with you. But I want you to look at 1 Corinthians 6. Now, here is where we see why we're here on this earth. Here is what we see. The reason that God let you be born into this world is found right here in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. I'll give you a second to get there. Because <clears throat> if you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to read it yourself. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. <clears throat> Verse 19. What know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God. There's our word. That's why the believer is on this earth is to glorify God, is to honor God with this vessel, which no longer belongs to the believer, but it belongs to him because he purchased it with his blood. In your body, in your spirit, which are God's. The ultimate goal of life is to glorify God with our life. And that is life. Because guess what? Before the Lord... We didn't have a life. We were just existing on this earth. We were walking dead people until he saved us. 
And then he came to live within us. And then what happens? The fruit of the Holy Spirit begins to manifest itself in our life. That's how we glorify God is by the fruit that is manifested that the Holy Spirit brings into us when we're saved. And so the love, the joy, the peace, the goodness, the meekness, the gentleness, the long-suffering, the self-control, and the faith is all of the Holy Spirit, which is the nature of Christ. And that nature comes to live within us. And so that fruit is being manifest as we live our daily lives. That that we didn't have before we got saved, now we have because he lives inside of us. And that is natural for the Christian. It's unnatural for the world because they don't have the Holy Spirit. They don't have those fruits. So they see that fruit in us. And what's that all about? How can that person love somebody that just did what they did to them? Because agape love is an unconditional love. You can even love your enemy. And he tells us to in Matthew. And so that fruit is what reveals who lives within us. So the ultimate goal for the Christian is that Jesus Christ manifests himself in us. The ultimate end of evil is death. And that is the second death, which he talks about in Revelation 20. It's a separation from God throughout all of eternity as they're cast into the lake of fire. And no longer will God ever even hear them. Won't even hear them. It's like they never existed, though they are existing. What does John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should what? Should not perish, but have life everlasting. To perish does not mean the end of being. It's the end of well-being. Some of those people, like the rich man and Lazarus, hey, he had it good on this earth. He had it real good. But as soon as he died, he was in a place of torment. And see, Lazarus was just the opposite. He was in a place of comfort on Abraham's bosom. They were separated by a great gulf. Here's Abraham. Here's Lazarus. Here's all the patriarchs. They're in a place of comfort. Here's the rich man and all of those that rejected God, and they're separated by a God, a God. One can go to the other. And so what did he tell the thief on the cross that said, Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom? Today you will be with me where? Paradise. The place where Abraham was, the place where Lazarus was, the place where Moses was, and the others that died. And so they're completely different. And the one that Satan goes to, He's going to suffer forever in torment. And all evil will end when he goes into the lake of fire, goes in with him. You know, Hitler, no doubt, was a physical presence on this earth of the spiritual Lucifer. They were so much alike. Hitler followed Satan's protocol. Pride always demands to be in control. Hitler was going to build his own empire here on this earth, just like Satan. And you know, this is Satan's domain now. Jesus said it was. In whom the prince of this world is come. And we can see it. All you got to do is turn the news on. You can see what he's doing. So you know that he is the prince of this world right now. But that's not going to last. 
There's an end coming. And so the same way with Hitler, he wanted to do away with what he called the inferior races so that he could have the superior races. And so in the process, he murdered millions of people, most of them Jews. Not only did he murder them, but he caused horrendous suffering for those people before they died by starving them to death, putting them in the gas chamber. It didn't matter to him whether they were children or they were grown-ups. You want to know how evil somebody is? See what they do to children, and you will see the evil of a person in their heart when they will harm a baby. That to me, I guess it gets me more than anything else when I hear of a child being harmed by someone. But you know, with him, it made no difference. He could harm a child just like he could harm, and all of his Nazi uh, soldiers could harm children just like they could anybody else. That tells you just how possessed they really were. But he was after power, he was after pride, and he was wanted to be in control. He wanted to control the world, and he wanted to imitate the devil, and he did. But you know how he ended? Ended up taking his own life. Death. That's why the end of evil is death. But it is yet to suffer the white, the lake of fire that will come after the white throne judgment. Those that he killed, he massacred, he murdered, some of those will live again because he couldn't destroy the soul, those that believed in God. He could destroy the body just like the devil can destroy the body. The devil would des destroy Job if God would have allowed him, but God did not allow it. Guess what? There wouldn't be a person in here today if the devil had his way. He'd have killed every one of us already. You know what's keeping us alive? It's God. That's the only reason we're alive today is because God has told the devil, no, that's mine. You can't touch him. Now, he may allow him at times to do things to harm us, but we know from the earlier part of this message that we're getting stronger because of it. So God knows just how much to allow and how much not to allow, just like he did with Job. First, he would allow him to take everything he had, but he couldn't touch his body. Second, he allowed him to touch his flesh, but he couldn't take his life. So we see God was in control of all of it. And you know what? Job knew that. Shall I not receive good at the hand of the Lord and not evil? You see, he knew who was in charge. He knew who was sovereign. We know who's in charge. We know it's God. If he allows something, there's a reason for it. So Matthew 10 and 28 says, Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And we know who that is, don't we? That is God. He's able to do both. Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire, Revelation 20 and 15. So we see the ultimate end of evil. And we know that day is coming, and it's probably closer than it's ever been. Looks like it's right there knocking at the door, doesn't it? That we're that close. If you have your Bibles, turn to Colossians chapter 3. Here's where we see how we glorify God. We know that we are to glorify Him 
But how do we glorify God? Well, he tells us here in Colossians chapter 3. Colossians is one of my favorite books in the Bible. Colossians 3 and 1. I'll give you a chance to get there because I'd like for you to follow me there if you have your Bibles. The very first verse. Now, the word if there, you can insert sense there. Sometimes if is used as sense. Since ye they have been risen with Christ, or made alive with Christ, seek those things which are above, the heavenly things, in other words, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections, or your mind, on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. So just as a dead man has no desire for the things of this world, we should be the same way. <laughs> we should be so dead to the world that it has no more influence on us than a dead man. And he says, you're hid with Christ in God. In other words, our real life is with God and Christ in heaven. That's our real life. We're down here, but really our life is hid in heaven with Christ and with God. Mortify or put to death, therefore, your members, which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanliness, which is impurity, <clears throat> inordinate affection, which is passion or lust, evil concupiscence, which is evil desires, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. And all you got to do is read Romans 1, and you'll find out what he did with those that turned away from him. He turned them over to their reprobate mind because of the evil that they had in their mind. In verse uh, 7, in the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. But now, verse 8, Ye also put off all these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. So all of that in verse 8, that's the old man. That's that natural man that lives after the things of the flesh, or the old woman. Verse 10, and now, and have put on the new man, which is the one who has been born again of the Spirit of God, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. And so we're constantly being renewed in our mind through the Word of God, through the preaching, through the teaching. We're constantly gaining knowledge about God, about ourselves, and about how to live on this earth. Verse 11, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free, but Christ is all and in all. Now here is the spiritual man, the spiritual woman. Verse 12, put on therefore as the elect of God or the chosen of God, 
holy and beloved bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, and long-suffering. See, humility is of the utmost. In order that we might truly have the fruit of the Spirit working in our life, we must be humble before God. You know what God said in Proverbs about pride? It's one of the seven sins that he hates. So a Christian gets nowhere as far as growth if they have pride in their life. They must have humility. And long-suffering <clears throat> is patience. And you see, stop there for a minute and look at the first words of verse 15. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts. How does that peace rule in our hearts? By being humble before God and by being patient. What does he say in James? Count it all joy when you enter into diverse temptation, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh what? Patience. And so that patience is vital for us to have the peace of God. Those that do not have peace in their heart that are children of God, one of the reasons is, is that they're not humble before God. You know, you can take a piece of clay that is hard, and that potter, he can't do anything with it. It just starts breaking off, you know, on that wheel. And so he just replaces it. He gets a piece that is pliable, puts it on there, it's moist, and he can make something useful and that's beautiful. But it's got to be pliable. And that's the way it has to be with us. We've got to be pliable in our maker's hand so that he can do with us what he likes to do. But if we're resisting him like that piece of hard clay, then guess what? He can't do anything with us because we've got some hardness in our heart. There's something in there that we haven't gotten rid of. And he's trying to work with us, and he can't because there's a lack of humility. There's what we're reading next. There's unforgiveness. And <clears throat> verse 13, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. Can't put enough emphasis on the word forgiving. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do you. Forgiveness. Years ago, somebody really hurt me deeply by some accusation that they made. And you know the natural man in me... <laughs> Wanted to resurrect itself and to take vengeance on that person. But I kept thinking about Romans 12 and 19. Dearly beloved. Uh, I can't remember the, the next word. Dearly beloved. Uh, Venge not yourself. 12 and 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. But rather give place unto wrath. That's a hard thing to do sometimes when somebody's falsely accused you or they've hurt one of your loved ones. But he said, Give place unto wrath, but it's written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. And you know what? I forgave that person. That person is in the grave now. What if I had not forgiven that? I'd have to live with that, that I didn't obey God's word. But I forgave him, and I've got peace in my heart now because I saw God do what I couldn't do anyway. Vengeance is his. He'll take care of business, and he'll do it a whole lot better than we can do it. Forgiveness. 
A lot of people are walking around with unforgiveness in their heart, and they wonder why they don't have that peace that he's talking about here in uh, verse 15. <clears throat> verse 14, And above all these things put on charity or love, which is the bond of perfectness or maturity. And let the peace of God rule in your heart, to the which also you are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Here is how we are to live. He's got it all explained right here. Romans, uh, I'm sorry, excuse me a minute. Second Corinthians 8 and 12 says, if there first be a willing mind, it is accepted according to the man hath, and not according to that he hath not. You know, a lot of times a Christian would like to have what Bill has, or what Ann has, or what uh, Betty has, or with what Joe has. But he said, if there first be a willing mind, it is accepted according to the man hath, and not according to that he hath not. Whatever abilities that God has given us, whatever they are, Whatever gifts that God has given us, he knows exactly what we need to be able to finish that course. We shouldn't be envious of what somebody else has. God's given us exactly what we need. And a lot of people always feel like, well, if I could just do what they're doing, you know, if I just had what they have. No. It is accepted according to what a man or a woman hath. And God will do with them what he desires. It may not be what this person does or that person, but it's what we do according to the ability that God has given us. And that's something we need to remember that scripture, 2 Corinthians 8 and 12, because it's very important. I had a lot of people planted seeds in my life when I was a little guy growing up into a teenager. Planted a lot of seeds that didn't mature for many years, but they were there. My mother, she was a, a wife, and she was a mother. And she planted seeds in those six little kids she was raising up. She didn't teach Sunday school. She didn't do a lot of things that other women did, but she raised her kids. She had us in church when the doors opened, and she lived an example before us of those nine fruit of the Holy Spirit that came to and you know what? It impacted this little guy when he was growing up. I saw Mama kneeled at the piano bench all the time praying for us little rug rats running around there getting in trouble. She was praying for us. She didn't stop praying when we got older and left the house. She kept on praying for us. I had a Sunday school teacher that I loved dearly. She taught us the primary things about the Bible. Instrumental in my life in planting seeds there that they didn't bloom for many years. But guess what? The seeds were there. I had an uncle that, he was my Uncle Nancy and my Aunt Kay. They were married. After I got saved, after I was called into ministry, I'd go to their house. He wasn't a preacher. He wasn't a Sunday school teacher. She was. But you know what? I'd go there, and I'd express to them what was going on in the ministry. They would pray for me. They would talk to me. They loved me, and they encouraged me. They were vital in my life. 
And you know what his ability was? He was a prayer warrior. I'd go over his house. I remember one time specifically I walked up and knocked on the door. The regular door was open. The glass on the screen door was up. And I could hear him. He had a deep voice, kind of like yours, Steve. And I could hear him. I thought he was talking to my Aunt Kay, but he was praying. And you know what? When Moses stood before the burning bush, wasn't God said, take your shoes off. You're on holy ground. And that's what I felt. I heard him praying. And he didn't come to that door when I knocked. He was talking to the Father. He wasn't going to let, I don't care who it was, interfere in his prayer life with God. He kept on praying. I could feel God's presence standing outside. That was his ability. That's what God gave him is that he had that connection with God. When he prayed, you were ushered right into the throne room of God in that prayer. That was something special that man had that I've seen very few times. But he had it. God gives us certain things. Never be envious of what somebody else has. You've got something God has given you, an ability. You've got a gift God has given you. Sometimes it's plant seeds, those little ones. Sometimes it's mentoring somebody that is growing in the Lord and they need somebody to talk to. But God's working in every one of our lives, you know. That little finger is not as important as that eye. But you know what? I need that little finger. You know, those toes may not be as important as these fingers, but guess what? If I didn't have them, I wouldn't be able to stand up here like I am. This is important that I hear. Very important. But also the other members of the body. I can't even see my lungs. I can't see my liver. I can't see my heart. But I know they're in there clicking away. They're doing their job, you know. A lot of times the people that are behind the scenes that are doing things are kind of like your heart pumping away, you know. That you can't see. You've never seen it. It's in there working now. You can see this, you can see that, you know. You can see these. Some of the things you can't see in the body of Christ are the same way. My mama was important to me. And, you know, she may not have affected a whole lot of other lives, but she sure affected her kids and her husband because my dad didn't get saved until I was in my late teens. But he saw before him a woman that loved God. He couldn't deny that she was a child of God and she was living it out. Is she the one that affected his life to the point that he finally gave his life to the Lord? I believe she was the one because she lived it out. And what Christ is asking us to do is do just what he said here in Colossians. And just live a holy life through the Spirit being shown. And then one day you walk into heaven and your hands will be full. He says, lay not up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust corrupt and thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and rust cannot corrupt and thieves cannot break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so I want to walk in with something in my hands <laughs> because of what Christ did for me. It's not required. But I do want to go to heaven with something laid up in my bank account in heaven. You know what I'm saying? And I've known people that have touched my life that they went into heaven 
and they had something in their hands. Something they had done, eternal benefits that are going on. I still talk about my two uncles and my aunt and my mama and my Sunday school teacher, you know, and other people that affected my life. Their ministry is going on through me and through others, their lives affected. So never think, because you may not be doing what that person does, that God's not using you. Because he's got a reason for you being here, and he knows exactly what he's doing. The, <clears throat> the greatest tragedy on this earth, and I tell this before I tell what that greatest tragedy is. I was uh, ministering one morning with Brother Massey. He was a pastor of a little church in Hernando. We were ministering to the inmates in Hernando Jail. And at the end of our service, a few of the guys, we took off into a little side room right adjacent to the chapel. And we normally did that. Someone that wanted to be converted or somebody that needed uh, ministering to, we'd take them off into there by themselves away from all the other inmates. And Brother Massey looked at the inmates and he said, you know, if Brother, jo Brother Joe died in this jail this morning, or if I died in this jail this morning, do you know that it would be honorable for us? Because we're about our Father's business. We're in this jail ministering to you guys, so it'd be an honor to God for us to die here. But he said, if you guys, one of you died in this jail, that would be your legacy. He died in jail. It'd be a scar on your life, on your family, and on your family name. Be a tragedy, wouldn't it? For someone to die in jail. But you know the greater tragedy? Is what happened with King Agrippa. When Paul the Apostle was giving his testimony to Agrippa, he told him everything that had happened in his life, all the way back to the road to Damascus where he got saved and all the way through all the things that he went through to get the gospel out. And he said, Agrippa, believe thou the prophets? And you know what Agrippa's reply was? Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Do you know how long that almost was? It could have been miles and miles and miles because that almost was just as much as never hearing because he said almost thou persuadest me. Have you ever wondered how many times that's rolled around in Agrippa's mind? Almost, I believe. He's suffering in hell right now in torment because almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And I want to tell you, if Paul couldn't persuade him, nobody could. But it was his unbelief that caused him to go to hell. And almost is going around and around in his mind in hell, thinking, why did I not believe that apostle? And I would not be in this place of torment, but I would be in a place of comfort. That, to me, is the greatest tragedy. And you know what the sad thing is? There are people that sit in church Sunday after Sunday. And they have never truly surrendered to Jesus Christ and gave their life to him. They go through the formalities, but they've never asked him to come into their heart and save them and give them eternal life. That, to me, is going to be the saddest day 
for that person to stand before Jesus Christ and he says, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. Those will be the harshest words anybody could ever hear. And they heard it over and over. And all they had to do was just say, yes, come into my heart and save me. Take away my sins. Forgive me all my sins. Wash them away with your precious blood. Because he said, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know, I can't remember exactly what I said when I got saved, driving that 18-wheeler, listening to J. Vernon McGee. And he said, some of you out there are going to hell. And I said, yeah, but what can I do about it? I remember exactly what I said to him. He was 2,000 miles away in California. I was up in North Tennessee. And I asked him, I said, what can I do about it? And I felt the Holy Spirit. And that was the best feeling I've ever felt in my life when I felt the Holy Spirit drawing me to God. And I started crying like a baby. I'm an old Marine. You know, Marines don't cry. I cried like a baby. But they were tears of joy because I knew that he was going to save me. Best day of my life. Somebody asked me sometime how old I am. 36 years old because I was born again in 1986. That's when I started living is when I was born again in the Spirit of God. You know, that's when life started. I thought I was living. I wasn't living until I got saved. And then I started living. And I have never regretted one moment of giving my life to the Lord. It's been an adventure like I've never had in my life. It, what is God going to do next? You know, Just like that song, Living for Jesus. When you see things like that and you know that God was behind that, you know, those things may not mean much to m many people. They do to me because I see that, that handprint. You know, God's right there. You know, you're okay. Yeah, we're going through a lot right now, but guess what? What did he say in John 10 and 28? I give unto them eternal life. They shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Nobody can pluck us out of his hand. We can be assured of that, that we know he's got us. The bride is okay. The bride's going to make it. He's coming back for his bride one day. And guess what? We're going to be with him forever. Once he comes back, as it says in Thessalonians, we'll never leave his side. When he comes back in Revelation 19, guess who's going to be with him? His church. Because the marriage supper of the Lamb is going to take place during those seven years. And he's going to come back with his army, which is going to be his church. Amen. We're going to come with him. So we're never going to leave his side. Once we're joined with him, we're there. <coughs> Thank you, Lord, for these that have come this morning. They could have gone anywhere else, been doing anything else this morning. <coughs> but they came to the house of God. And, Lord, we know these pews ought to be full this morning. There ought to be people just driving up that have never been in here. The Holy Spirit, draw them and come in and fill this place up to hear the gospel, to be able to sing your praises, to be able to worship you and know you, the fellowship, Lord, of being able to speak to the Son of God. What a privilege 
to be able to pray to God and for him to hear us, for you to hear us, Lord Jesus. So, Lord, I know there are needs here this morning. I know some may have health needs, Lord. Some may have spiritual needs, some emotional needs. And I pray you will meet each one of those needs, whatever they are today, Father, as only you can do. I pray for this church, Lord, that, Lord, you would send them a pastor who would love these people, Lord, and would help this church to grow, that would be on fire for you, Lord Jesus. Thank, thank you so much for these that are faithful to serve you, Lord. This proves, Lord, their love for you as they continue to worship, Lord, even though it's a few of them, just like our little church there in your door. It's just a few of us, Lord, but we love you, and we worship you, and we keep doing what we can to help our church grow. But, Lord, you give the increase, and that's what I pray here for, that you would bring the increase. Some would plant, some would water, but, Lord, you're the one that increases. So touch in a way only you can do this morning. I pray for those that in, had intended to come but couldn't come for whatever reason. Could have been a health issue or something else. I pray that you would touch them also. They'd sense your presence and your love and know, Lord, that you'll never leave them or forsake them. So help us in these trying times that we live, Lord, to keep our eyes focused on you. For you are our only hope, Lord. And we realize that one day we'll see you face to face, Lord. And we all want to hear that. Well done, good and faithful servant. So help us to serve you, Lord. And we serve you by serving others. You said, when you've done it under the least of these, my brethren, you've done it as unto me. When we have given food to the hungry, water to the thirsty, to the naked, when we visited those that are in prison or those that are sick, when we've been hospitable to those that are without. Lord, you said that we're doing that as unto you. We show our love for you by loving our neighbor as ourselves. And there's nothing greater than love. It is forever without end, just like good, just like you, Lord Jesus. So touch us now. Give us the strength we need for this coming week, Lord, that we'll go out and be a light in the darkness and people will see you living in us as you manifest yourself through the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We pray all of these things in your precious name, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we love you and thank you for joining us together in worship this day. Amen.